This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast Legislative Candidate Series. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. And this week, we talk with Jessa Lewis. She is a Democrat running for state Senate in the 6th Legislative District, which incorporates parts of Spokane. And she joins us now. Hey, Jessa. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, so you recently got into the race. I think it's been a couple of months now, and I'm curious how things are. Uh, how are things going so far? It, this has been one of the most exciting and challenging and frustrating, amazing things I've ever taken on. All those things at and once. The, <laughs> all those things at once. And the thing that is touching me the most and what I'm trying to get used to is people I've never met approaching me on the street asking for a hug. Wow. Or saying thank you because it means so much to have someone who actually understands their experience and what they're going through and someone who's actually going to fight for the district that has been ignored for far too long. And I think part of the reason why people might be moved to uh, get a hug from you is because there's an empathy born from your personal experience. Um, you are currently the Eastern Washington Director of Healthcare for All Washington. I know that you've been a park ranger. You work at the Department of Defense. So you've had a varied uh, professional career, but it wasn't always that way. You were once a single mom living in your car with, with your daughter. Yes, the sad thing is, is my story is far too common. And that's the thing is normally in political discourse and the kind of people who are making laws and regulations come from a certain position of privilege. And I think that is where we have a real opportunity here is to have someone who has literally pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and understand that, you know, bootstraps aren't much good when you don't have boots in the first place. Yeah. Um, they, they, you need the tools and resources to be able to get where you need to go, to be able to be a functioning member of society. And that is the thing that is so frustrating because it was never about handouts. I never thought I was owed anything. All I ever wanted to do was to build a life for my daughter and I, and to set her up for success. And that is a story that is so common, is how many parents have struggled and fought and given, you know, made those really deep sacrifices for their kids. And when we have a system that is structured against them and to where we are blaming, you know, like this minute little amount of money that goes to food stamps or health care or whatever else for, for the open society, and we're not looking at these massive corporate tax breaks and all these other things to where, you know, it really gets down to what Martin Luther King says, that it's, you know, socialism rich and rugged individualism for the poor. And I was once in a really solid spot, and I used to be very judgmental and looked down on folks, and it's kind of like a by the grace of God thing that once I was there hmm. and wasn't sure how I was going to provide for my daughter and I, that I really started getting an understanding on how the system and how our government can work better for the people. You know, I'm wondering if it was that experience then that w moved you to run for office. I, I know that you were also a delegate uh, to the 2016 Democratic National Convention. That's enormously exciting. So what was it that tipped it for you? Or was this something that you had always wanted to do? I don't know. It's It's one of those things where I will admit to... You know, I might run for office someday as being my excuse out of getting into trouble as a teenager. <laughs> but it was really, sorry, it's true. Uh, but later on, um, it was something that was always in the future, like maybe someday that would be nice. Because my internal drive, and this is something that came up at an event last night, has always been, how do I make people's lives better? 
I've always been a bit of a mama bear. And the opportunity to actually get into a place to drive people-centered policy is something that has been kind of captivated and, and, and a fixation of mine for about a decade now. Um, and so because of that, I volunteered and I was a part of campaigns. But it really it wasn't until I was a part of the effort to try to get um, a single-payer bill passed with health care for all last legislative session where I was meeting with all the legislators, and it really hit me. They're not that different from me, and this is a job I can do. And the fact that we were so close to getting it passed, I left session in Olympia thinking this is something I have to do. And so I wasn't sure when it was going to happen. I was maybe leaning on 20. And so I started organizing and working towards running for a house seat. And in that process, over and over again, I started hearing, we need you this year. We need you for the Senate seat. You're the one that can do this. And that was a little intimidating because I'm still, um, yeah, I was still trying to, 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 to find myself and to actually think that I was ready because I knew this was a stretch this year. But that was, it, that was the thing was enough people who believed in me said, don't put it off. Well, so now is the time. And I know that you did the Emerge program and that trains uh, women candidates to run for office. And uh, I actually, they, you just retweeted something that they uh, tweeted. And I, I wanted to ask you about that. And that is, uh, quote, running for office as a woman is a very different experience than it is for a man. And I know that you just launched, but I'm wondering what are some of those differences that you've observed? I have to say there's two main differences that um, are in the negative. One of those is I've been asked, what am I going to do with my daughter? That is never a question that is asked of a man. And that is something to where I just want to say, I've gotten this this far. I will make sure she's in a good spot. I've already made a plan. The other thing is I have to constantly show that I'm strong, that I'm capable. And those are also questions that you don't always see asked of a male candidate. You never do, really. You don't, but that's the opportunity here to really need to change the dialogue on what we see is effective governance and what it means to be in political leadership. So I want to jump in and talk about some of your platforms. And I'd like to actually start with a great quote that is on your campaign website, and it's from you, and it is, a complaint is a commitment. So talk about that. So that is actually a a concept that I picked up as part of my, my MBA grad program. And it was uh, an innovative school, the first of its kind, to teach basically sustainability and social responsibility as a part of an integrated part of the curriculum. And as a school that is basically both a college and a startup, a lot of our coursework and everything we did was driven by the students. And so it's one of those things that we learned that in an institution like that, where you're trying to build something new, that oftentimes those of us who are in politics will hear, oh, it'd be great if we did this. Or this isn't working well. And the concept of a complaint being commitment is that if you're going to say that this isn't right and you want to do this better, that you then get the ownership of helping to make that and not just looking to someone else to do it for you. 
Right. So meaning, yeah, you have a responsibility to fix it. Well, and that actually dovetails into something that you were saying earlier about going to Olympia to lobby on behalf of healthcare. Uh, as I said, you are the Eastern Washington Director of Healthcare for All Washington. And so uh, you have, you know, frontline experience with this. And I imagine if you are elected, you would advocate for precisely what Healthcare for All has been lobbying for. So talk about what Healthcare for All proposes. Well, as part of my job, what we're looking at doing is creating a single payers trust in the state of Washington that'd be administered by a board that would be a single purchaser, a point of purchase to where we could negotiate the cost of drugs and the payment schedule and to actually handle those reimbursements for various medical entities across the state. And it would cover anyone who is not currently covered by a federal plan. What we believe, and others as well, is that this would actually be a substantial cost savings to the state and enable us to cover everyone. Because what we're seeing, especially in Eastern Washington, is that there's these little critical care hospitals that are struggling and going into the red because people are putting off care or not going, or going once they're really sick. And that means that they're not able to function or operate. And when those hospitals, if they close down, then the schools close down, and that really undermines the security of a community. And when you live out there in some of these rural areas, not having a hospital or even a health care plan, you, you can't survive with that. And it also disproportionately impacts farmers and small business owners and those who are not able to get health care coverage through their employment. Well, yes. Yeah, so all of these issues, as you say, are intertwined. Um, the economy, the local economy. Um, I know that, you know, the opioid problem is, is in there as well. And uh, education, you mentioned. And you've talked about state schools being insufficiently funded. And I know that the legislature just complied with the recent McCleary court ruling to invest a billion dollars in state schools. But what in your mind is needed beyond that? As a working parent, one of your number one concerns is where is your daughter or child going to be when you're at work? And that is why we need a universal pre-K and to really make child care affordable. Um, Studies have shown over and over again that that having those kind of programs are instrumental for, for student outcomes and success. In addition, we also need to be looking at a universal community college um, or two-year school after high school because as it stands right now, it is really hard for someone to find a living wage job without supplemental training in either college or the trades. And we need to make those opportunities available, but without burdening students with high loads of student debt. And you're talking about making the two years of community college free for Washington residents, right? For tuition free, absolutely. Like making the investment, because that's the thing is when we have a well-trained, world-class workforce that is not burdened by student loan debt, that makes our state more competitive. So you have talked about how you have an MBA, and I'm curious to know how that training and your business background in particular informs your politics. I know that one of the points on your website is uh, fiscal responsibility. So talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. And actually, I want to take a step back as far as fiscal responsibility, because it's not just not paying for something. Let's take, for example, I I assume you drive a car, right? I do drive a car. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you've put off an oil change because you didn't have the money? I yes, actually, way back in my college days, I I did. Yeah. Okay, and then if you if you do that long enough, you have catastrophic engine failure, which ends up costing way more than that one oil change ever would have. Right. 
And I think that is what we're seeing across the state is when you have that kind of defunding and putting off of essential investment into public services, then the outcomes are way worse and way more expensive than if you just kept that basic investment going. So the front-end investment is cheaper. It absolutely is, and, and to the preventative maintenance and making sure that, you know, um, when schools are properly funded and there's a pathway to gainful employment, you see less crime. When there's access to health care and you're able to regularly access a doctor for preventative care, you're not ending up in the ER with a really expensive affliction. And that's what we're seeing over and over again is that there's been this systematic kind of an undermining of the governmental systems which are set up for the betterment of all citizens, that it ends up actually costing us more in the end. You know, you also call attention to there being over 400 tax breaks for state businesses here that uh, amount to billions of dollars, and that if they are not helping to grow the economy or to create jobs that they have to go. Uh, I'm curious, given your integrated thinking, how you would go about eliminating some of the unnecessary ones. Let's let's look at one that works. Let's talk about solar incentives. That has been an absolutely instrumental program that is helping with our state's energy security, helping families become more independent, and ultimately reducing our carbon footprint. That is an example of um, tax incentives or giveaways that make sense. Let's compare that with what happened with the Boeing situation. We gave them a massive tax break with the understanding that that would grow and keep jobs in Washington State, and they ended up leaving. There needs to be clawbacks and accountability for when whatever tax break or incentive we're we're putting forth in order to achieve a mutually agreed-upon goal to when that actually doesn't turn out how how we're thinking it should or if someone's not holding up their end of the bargain. And that ultimately gets down to fiscal responsibility because that money that we gave to Boeing, we weren't able to use for the purposes needed in the state. And with our tax structure being one of uh, being the most regressive in the entire country, we're struggling to adequately fund schools and basic services. So that is ultimately where we need to have that accountability. Well, so then how would you go about eliminating the un, the, the ones that aren't uh, helping the economy or creating jobs? I think we need to go through loophole and tax break step by step, and there needs to be an, an active accounting for where our money's going, because that's the thing is when people don't trust the government and they don't trust they're actually acting in their best interest, then that also means they're not going to show up to vote because it doesn't matter. And I think that's part of why we're seeing this massive disengagement. So if they see someone who they can relate to and understand actually going through and saying, no, this is broken, this is broken, and here's what we're going to do to fix it, I think we can help rebuild trust and ultimately rebuild the democracy that works for everyone. So I want to talk about your district a little bit. So for people who maybe aren't familiar, haven't visited much, tell us a little bit about your district. I know that it incorporates parts of Spokane. You yourself live in Spokane. Uh, You did a campaign ad where you were filmed uh, throughout different locations and towns holding up signs with parts of your your political platform. Uh, Tell us some of the things that uh, that you love about living there. What I love about the six is that it is a microcosm of the state of Washington. You have everything from cities and communities all the way out to rural farms. Um, you also have small industrial, you have the airport, you have Eastern Washington University. It is incredibly beautiful and diverse, and I just have this affinity for the ponderosa pines and the basalt rocks that you find in the channeled scablands. There's a almost an austere beauty hmm. to the region and a friendliness 
to the people you meet here. Yeah, the photos that you posted, it really is like there's some really beautiful countryside out where you are. And then you talk about the people and uh, it's widely perceived as a red district. I know that you've said that it's more purple. Uh, The seat that you are running for was recently held by uh, Republican Michael Baumgartner. The two House seats are also held by Republicans. But you've said that you are very confident running as a Democrat there. So, So talk about why. Well, that's the thing is if you look at turnout, Republican turnout has held steady and Democratic turnout has dropped off. And I think part of that was due to the lack of the investment in eastern Washington and a change of the Democratic message that didn't reflect working folks. So the Democrats have admitted that they're struggling to reaching reaching those making less than $50,000 a year. And those are my people. I, I get them and I can speak to their issues. Not only that, the level of organizing that we've seen this year. Like earlier, Lisa Brown of the State Party had a training. And Lisa Brown is running for Congress in the 5th Congressional District against Kathy McMorris-Rogers. Absolutely. And that is a targeted red to blue race. So there's already resources coming in. What we're seeing is that in January, 430 people, energized, excited people, showed up to be trained how to knock on doors. And the amount of training and collaboration and rebuilding of the party infrastructure that we're seeing out there and the absolute excitement and determination makes an R plus two district something that is absolutely winnable. Yeah, there's certainly a groundswell going on out there from everything that I have seen. And, you know, I will ask you, because I know that you haven't always been a Democrat, that uh, once in your earlier life you were a an evangelical Republican. And I'm wondering if that experience helps you to communicate more with people who might be, I don't know, not as receptive to a Democrat? Absolutely, because I understand, and so much of what we're struggling with is a language and culture barrier, that as our countries become more polarized, like ultimately we want the same end goal, but maybe we disagree on how to get there, or we disagree on the language we use to describe the situation. For example, um, during the time that I was working with the Department of Defense at Joint Base Lewis McCord, I didn't talk about sustainability. I talked about energy security and cost savings. And it was absolutely well received. And there wasn't a, there wasn't a question about it. And having a chance to advocate for those issues in a way um, that can be received. Um, so I still have ultimately the deep core values of community, taking care of one another, being responsible with the taxpayer money um, that any conservative has. But I think where the parties got lost is in the the evangelical and the social issues and some of the language and the hyper-partisanship because I'll tell you, as someone running for office, it's a lot harder to have to describe the complex systems that I was sharing with you earlier. It's a lot easier to say that person's a baby killer. Vote against him. You know, so that's, when, when we drive our politics off of fear and division and not actually having those in-depth conversations about what's going to better our community, that's how we get to where we are. And I know and I love and I trust my neighbors. And it, as long as we have a conversation, we can have some respect and come eye to eye on the bulk of the things we discuss. Well, it's very exciting uh, that you are running for office out there, and we want to do everything that we can to support you. I know that campaigns need donations. They need volunteers and all of that. So where can people learn more? Um, everything is under Elect Jessa Lewis, 
That's J-E-S-S-A Lewis, L-E-W-I-S. So that's electrosalewis.com, facebook.com backslash electrosalewis, uh, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Um, my issues are on there. I'm going to be revamping the website soon to get more of the issues and what we're fighting for on there. Um, you can also reach out anytime. Um, the website has my phone number. Please just connect with me, send me an email, call me. I want to hear what's important to you. And if you're interested in joining in the fight, I would love to hear from you. And before we go, I should mention that you have uh, an event coming up, right? Yes, I do. On May 23rd at the Sunset Elementary Gym in Airway Heights, we are going to be having a launch for the field um, campaign kickoff and also a massive rally. Folks will be coming from across the state. There's going to be a ton of energy there. I would love anyone who's listening to join us. Well, it's very exciting, and uh, I, I know that the biggest thing that one can do right now uh, to get involved is to run for office, and you've stepped up, and we're really excited about it. So, Jessica Lewis, thank you again so much for joining us on the show. Appreciate your time. Thank you. So all of Jess's contact info can be found on the SoundCloud page and on the website, indivisiblepodcast.org. So check it out there. If you know of a candidate you'd like to appear on the show, the email is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.